Courage was hope mixed with love. That to me describes courage perfectly because hope is strong and it's visceral and it's resilient and it's powerful. And you put the two things together and they can change everything. This is Brave New Girl podcast and we share real stories with real impact. I'm your host Lou Hamilton and I'm a filmmaker, author and artist and passionate about storytelling for making a positive difference in the world. Your story matters. It tells of who you are and why you do what you do in the service of others. And my guests bring you their stories, their highs and lows and courage gained along the way. Join us for the ride. My guest this week is Victoria Bennett, author of the intimate memoir, All My Wild Mothers, a story of rewilding our wastelands and the transformation that happens when we do. After losing her sister in a boating accident and later finding out her son had a lifelong medical condition, Vic turned to the rubble and weeds outside her door to create a new kind of future. Welcome Vic to Brave New Girl Podcast. Hi Vic, how are you? I'm all right, thank you Lou, how are you? I'm good. So you've just moved up to Orkney from Cumbria? That's right. Yeah, a big move that was even bigger because we got stuck in storms and ended up stuck in a camper van with uh, two guinea pigs, a cat and our belongings and child. (laughs) (gasps) But very adventurous. I've seen a couple of your photographs on, on Instagram and it looks wild and wonderful. It is. It's somewhere we've wanted to be for quite a long time. So I never thought we would get here. So it's one of those things that's happened suddenly, but it's been a long time coming. And you've got your own hearth. Yes, we found it this week. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the revealed fireplace and oh. uh, and a roaring fire. And I have to say that I live in London and it is something in a flat and it is something the one thing that I I miss from living in the country is is a roaring fire. Yeah, yeah. We, but... we, um, we haven't had one for for 10 years living in, in the house that we were in. So yeah, it's lovely, it's lovely isn't it? It's a, a sense of coming home. I'm very excited to talk to you because I've I've actually I've got about half a dozen pages left to finish of your book. And I have kept those for after I've spoken to you because I want to feel like I finished the journey with you. I've loved the book. It's been a really wonderful experience reading it and not easy at times, but what you bring out of it in the very way that you plant a garden out of the rubble in the last house that you were in is is an amazing experience. Tell me about your book and who are the people that you're hoping to reach with it? Oh, my book is... It's called All My Wild Mothers, which is, it, it, it talks of the mothering that's in it, my own experience of being a mother, um, my relationship as a daughter to a mother, but also all the other women in my life who have been mothers and guides. And of course, Mother Nature, the, the Mother Earth. It comes out in February 2023, which seems so close now. <laughs> it's having been written over a decade written between grief and care and in tiny hours and sometimes minutes. So sometimes I would only get five minutes in a day to sit and write something. It's It seems like it's been a long time and it has, and I don't think I ever really thought it would be a book. So now it's going to be coming out. It's an amazing and terrifying and wonderful feeling. And I hope that it reaches people that will 
we'll connect with it. We'll feel we'll feel like they can relate to it, whether they've experienced the same experiences as me um, or not. But also, I think it's it is a book that has difficult things. It is a book that has grief in and a loss and um, a lot of things that were broken, <laughs> including the ground. But like the garden that grew out of it, I I feel, I hope that it has hope in, and that's what I want to reach people that maybe right at this moment need that hope and need to, would would find that it gave them a sense of peace, hopefully, resilience, um, maybe make them laugh in some places. It's not all sad. <laughs> you don't shy away from the, the rockier times and and we do all have those at some point in our life and some from some of us many points in our lives but what is revealed is is somehow the simplicity of yeah it's the simple things that when you go back to that that kind of grounds you and and gives you roots and somehow gives you some sort of stability to find a way to grow or to move forward again i think we've all been through I mean, this my all my wild mothers obviously talks of my own my own personal um, loss losses in my life, but I think over the last few years we've all been collectively been through a, a huge losses, whether that's um, losses of the stability of income, which which again is something that is in in my book, you know, talking about you know the effects of austerity on our family and but you know uh, job security, house security, but also you know, deep losses of family and loved ones and and also losses of a sense of security in a, in a perceived future. You know, nobody expected the the um what has happened to have happened. And it, it, it broke people's sense of of what they could trust, I think, in the future. And there is a lot of that in in what I've written, and it, it is about finding roots. It is about going back to the the small things that grow, and trusting in that, and finding finding a way through. Because we can't control everything. We we can't stop the bad things happening. We can't we can't shape our futures to be perfect. And I think there's a lot of of media and a lot of advertising that that tells us that our life should be this way and that way. And and sometimes it really just isn't, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's awful, and it doesn't mean that it's not worth something. Yeah, I, I think it's that feeling of being destabilized, and you know, we think that we can have some kind of control, and then we don't know how to deal with it when we when we lose control or we perceive that we have no control. I'm my daughter is going off traveling um, in a couple of days' time for an indeterminate amount of time and and I've really struggled with that and I've had to change how I feel about motherhood and about how you you go from sort of raising and protecting to letting go and allowing them to be free and actually that's your job that if you've done it well you've created these these human beings that can fly and not need you but some kind of built-in obsolescence but that is very destabilizing and you know yes that lose that loss of control and so it is kind of well how do I then find 
a sense of of wholeness of of groundedness of of having those roots and and I think that you know all the things that you talk about in your book is is that sort of you know one thing after another in in a way of okay so this has happened now now what do I do and 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 it's always seems to be sort of about going back into yourself and going back back into nature and finding those things that that hold us and they're not the kind of they're not the things that we're promised they're not the kind of big consumerist chasing the dream or the car or all of those things that we've been sort of brought up to believe are the things that will make us feel safe they're not the things and uh, with your book you you tell your story in different parts and we we sort of find different things out as we go through and each chapter is punctuated by a herb or a plant or a weed that has some kind of medicinal or healing healing power and and so I wondered when you were a child were those the things that drew your attention what were the clues to the little girl that to the woman that you've become <laughs> I, I think that would depend on who you asked that question to <laughs> um, my my mother always gardened in a very wild way you know she so I was surrounded by wildflowers and things that weren't really meant to be there and the garden never looked like other people's gardens and you know she she was the one that really taught me that a weed is is not a weed it's just a flower that someone hasn't discovered yet <laughs> so she would plant weeds in our garden um and and that gave me a sense of freedom i think in terms of how i saw and how i saw the natural world I was very privileged in many ways. I travelled a lot with my father's work, which had its challenges and had its problems. Um, but it also showed me a world full of beauty. Um, strangely enough, that that probably is a, is is something that that uh, that I had to challenge in 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 my older life because I couldn't do those things. So you know, I think that that sense of being able to go off on some great pilgrimage to the wilderness, you know, when life goes wrong was definitely challenged as a, as a mother and as a mother of a parent, as a parent carer as well. And, you know, that, and somebody who didn't have the money to do that was, uh, you know, you don't always get to do that. Went off on a digression then. But I think, <laughs> but I think that's the point. I think that's the point, isn't it? That we, we're always chasing out there the thing. Yeah. And, and even though you'd found as a child, the the joy of travel and and discovery you you were then sort of forced to to look for those adventures and those discoveries standing right where you were yeah. well i think i think I'd, i'm not sure i did enjoy the travel as a child i think that's that's the interesting thing i think because it was you know look out there there's the view there's the thing you're supposed to be looking at um there's the beauty and i don't i don't think as a child that was my experience i think my experience was much more of what i was feeling and whether i was hungry and how how the family was doing and you know and how secure i felt and but as an adult i can look back and see those things and i can remember those experiences and i can appreciate the gift of being given them i'm not sure i appreciated that at the time <laughs> but it did one of the things that my mother said to me as when she was um, when she was sick, when she was was uh, dying, and I was caring for her, was 
although she she found traveling with the family difficult she was she felt proud that she had managed to give her children the opportunity to to see that there were many different ways to live and many different people in the world and and that she hadn't raised us to just think that our way was the only way to be and i think that's something that was a gift that came from that travel that i didn't understand when i was experiencing it but obviously became part of who i was when i was older then you were always writing and and when you left home you created a community of wild women so what was that and how what what was the need for for doing that um well in between the leaving home and doing that i i went away and had you know small breakdowns and it was a bit messy and it was difficult and um so I, I kind of I was on one side of of, um, of that sort of fence, and and I also worked using poetry in the mental health services with a group called Survivors Poetry, um, and I was also working within the mental health services as a resident artist, and I came to see that that well, I began to think there was a lot of women using these services who were who were who are using them for anxiety, depression, things, you know, very real, very real experiences that I've been through. Um, and I began to wonder whether, whether having a space to, to be who they were, <laughs> it sounds very simplest, simplistic and maybe it was at 26, I think I was, I probably had a more simple idea, 27, <laughs> but a space where people could, feel able to express who they were, feel able to explore their stories, put put those stories into words um, and tell those stories and, and therefore own them. Um, and that was kind of my practical purpose for wanting to set up a space. And then and then it was also more instinctual and it collided with, with picking up uh, Clarissa Pinkola says uh, Women Who Run With The Wolves, which had been sitting on my bookshelf for ages and then suddenly it was like, I have to read that and I read it all in, you know, very quickly and went yes that makes a lot of sense so so that's what I did you know and in this, this is in the days before before social media so it really it was drawing out posters and going around and sticking them <laughs> in cafes and on library walls we've been going that long <laughs> and where you was it by helping others to write where was that encouraging you to write too yeah I mean it, it I needed that space as much as I was giving that space. So when, I mean, I was terrified when the first session, you know, everybody arrived and, and, you know, most people were older than me and had children or grandchildren or, and there was me saying, oh, <laughs> this is what it is to be a woman. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, the joy of you. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it became, it wasn't really about that. And I mean, I've made, you know, it, it, it's also, I think important to, to add that it's, it's, it's not a a gender based group, you know. In that sense, that um, we've always done, you know, I, I've put on workshops, we've we've done events and things that are, are inclusive. Um, although we've got a small group that is the core group that have always been that. It's much more about the wild women. Is more about an ethos of of that that telling her own story, being your wild self in the world, you know, and, and I truly believe that when we are, when we allow ourselves to be present in who we are and, and express who we are, 
you know, broken or not, <laughs> um, that that we can create so much. You know, there's so much. Everybody's amazing, <laughs> really. <laughs> and the sort of birthing of words and putting things out into the world and kind of feeling, tapping into that sense of the wildness in in you and and then trying to get pregnant and and wanting to have a baby and then you do get pregnant and you're growing your baby inside and then something terrible happened to you and so can you talk about that you know you describe it in in the book you talk about that journey of of grieving and birthing and how painful that is how how did you get through that you know but when when i was pregnant it was very much a wanted you know, wished for pregnancy because it was one that we didn't think would happen. We'd, we'd been through pregnancy loss. We'd been through difficulties conceiving. Um, you know, I'd been told not to expect to get pregnant. So when when I did finally get pregnant, you know, it took a long time to accept that that was happening. When I did, it was it was the most wonderful, wonderful point in my life. You know, it was, it was a point where I felt truly happy in a way that I'd never experienced before and then I got a phone call and my eldest sister had been in a, a canoeing accident on our local river and had been trapped under the water and they hadn't been able to rescue her you know I think it's, it's that sort of a series of unfortunate events of things happening that meant that that the help couldn't get to her in time and and she died she she drowned um and at that moment everything everything i knew came apart there was nothing left of it um because how do you comprehend that somebody goes out and doesn't come back again? And because she went so suddenly, um, you know, how could she be dead? How how could this person that was so very much alive and very much part of all of our lives not be there? And obviously it's not just that. You know, my entire family everything I knew about my family smashed apart at that point too, because a sudden and traumatic death like that changes everybody. And there was I pregnant, you know, expecting my, my first and, and my only child. Um, and I had to find a way of, of living with death and living with life at the same time. Uh, my body went into shock. I nearly lost my, my baby and and there was also the, the you know what do I do with this great big huge declaration of life that I'm carrying around while everybody else around me is grieving um, and I survived it that's that's what I did with it I survived it um, I did what I had to do for being pregnant um, it, the shock shattered my body. I, I ended up in a wheelchair. I, I couldn't get out. I, I, you know, I didn't do any of the usual stuff that you do just before you have a baby. Um, there was no nesting or anything. 
and and I gave birth and then I had a baby <laughs> and then I had to look after the baby um, I had a beautiful son and those two things had to live side by side you describe breastfeeding and so your milk is flowing and and your tears were flowing and and it's these two things happening simultaneously in your body mm. the giving life to to your child and and also grieving mm. loss i think it was the most the most stark experience of of joy and deep deep pain that could be experienced um and it certainly meant that my my early motherhood was was nothing like what i expected it to be it was nothing like what other people's motherhood seemed to be you know i couldn't i couldn't face all of that that stuff um you know i felt out of place with with all of that but it's it's you know, it is a very it's a very rooted thing you know the grief and and love and birth and death and all of these things are just so they are the same thing they're just the opposite ends of and it's a bit like a sort of circle that comes round so um there was there was you know obviously i had support as well you know like, but again everybody everybody went through that grief in their own way and you know it put us it it strained everybody and it strained my marriage you know there we were with this beautiful baby that we'd always longed for and there was I falling apart <laughs> and and crying and, and not happy and at what point did you move to the house in Cumbria with the the rubble outside and and start to think or not probably not even think but maybe instinctively just get out in the rubble and start digging and planting that was actually uh 2012 so it was actually four years later um so my son was four and you know, there had been other things that had happened. There had been other losses. Um, by that time, I was looking after my son. He'd been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 2 and had nearly died. Um, so, misdiagnosed, first of all. But, you know, well, missed. Missed rather than misdiagnosed. So, when we moved there, you know, it was a necessity move as much as anything. Um, social housing, it gave us a security that we didn't have in private rental um it meant that we you know we felt like it it could be our home and it felt like it couldn't be taken away from us and whipped out from underneath us which was an important thing because after so much had been ripped out from underneath um and you're right it was an instinctual thing it was you know i i couldn't create after after my sister died I, you know, that was another thing so much of creativity is described in terms of water you know we go with the flow we you know we have the fountain of inspiration <laughs> yeah. and there's all this flowing that happens with creativity and then and femininity and 
all of these things. Um, and then I couldn't do any of that because that had been stopped and because all water was was terrifying and nature was terrifying and it was no longer beautiful. And so, but I, also I, I always, sorry. I always feel at traumatic times, certainly in my life, that that sense of water feels like it's dammed up or that I dam it in order to be able to somehow survive i damn that life force of the water and that each each trauma is another dam and and it's only later that when you're you're recovered that you can start to kind of go back and undam and let the water flow again and, yeah and so when you went out into that space which you know it was the council council were kind of telling you you know you you if you're going to create a garden it's got to be a normal garden <laughs> And uh, and despite, you know, the risk of, you know, you really didn't want to have it, once again, something ripped out from under you. But also there was something that's this kind of pulling towards the sort of wildness of, of nature as opposed to kind of the um, the trimmed and primped version that you were going for. I, I we, When my son and I went out into that space, it was... You know, it was like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to, you know, I, he's taught me so much over the years, you know, and, and and he he didn't see a space full of rubble. He saw a space full of adventure and wonder. And so we set out and we, 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 we started to, to build a garden. And I say build because we had to dig out all the stone first. <laughs> so most of our days were spent pushing digging rocks out, pushing them around. And we, we didn't have any money. So everything that we made that garden out of had to be repurposed, recycled, discovered, found on the building site, dug out of the ground. And we didn't have any money for plants. So it didn't matter that, you know, the Country Living <laughs> magazines and things looked like they did. And they're beautiful gardens. And, and I would have loved my garden to look like that. You know, if I'm honest, it's like I would have loved a garden to look like that. But you know, I couldn't do that. I could, uh, I I could plant dog daisies that we found and and uh, dandelions and things like that. So I think, you know, we 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 created the garden out of what was there, and part of it was discovering what would grow in in a place that isn't what you would expect anything to grow in. And then that became that became something that was beautiful and, and revealing in itself because out of this ground that had nothing all these things started to to grow and, and wildlife started to to appear and you know it, it had been an industrial stoneworks for I think over 200 years so it had been rock and rubble for for centuries and so it's you know and then it became a wild space so I think before I moved um, I did an inventory of of what was growing there and living there and you know I was up to 20 pages of A4 amazing of, of mm. plants and animals and insects mm. and and there was nothing when we moved there and at what point did your words start to come again I started to write again 
at the same time as we started to dig the garden out. Some of some of what's written in the book I wrote earlier when I was when when my sister died. So some of it is written, you know, some of it was written just as as the the, the very few journal entries that I could write. Um, but mostly I started to write again when we started to to dig the garden. And again, it was, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a bit more some other times. <laughs> Maybe the chapters got longer as my son got a bit older. <laughs> and I let myself see what would grow there as well. And at what point did you see what the book could be in terms of relating it to the garden and to the plants and the healing, both of the plants and of the creation of the garden. So as the garden started to transform from just being rock into what could grow, um, my interest in kind of the, how plants can heal um, in terms of sort of, of of herbal medicine, but also in folklore and, and sort of that that kind of ancient way of, of understanding plants, you know, took part, you know, that, that became the relationship with what was growing and, and then my son and I explored that together um, as we as we discovered the things that would grow. Um, when they became part of, of the book was was much later, I think. And I think it I didn't really understand it or, or believe it as a book until probably 2019, as late as that. And at that point, I think I've written a book. <laughs> Initially, what happened was I decided to enter. I was working with a, a writer called Wendy Pratt, um, a poet, and I've been working on a collection of poetry. And then she said, well, we've got a bit of extra time on our mentoring. You know, have you got anything else? So I said, well, I've got this. I don't know what it is, really. I've got this. And at the same time, she was reading it, and she, you know, and she was like, this is wonderful. This is, this is really good writing. You know, this is something. And at the same time, the Nan Shepherd Prize had their first, announced their first inaugural Nan Shepherd Nature Writing Prize, which was for underrepresented voices in nature. And I thought, I'll have a go. <laughs> I'll have a go at that. And I spent ages and ages and ages trying to write a book about, you know, something that I couldn't do, which ironically I've now gone and done, which was being in Orkney. <laughs> and then I realised that I couldn't write about going off to Orkney because that wasn't my life at all. And I, I, could, I hadn't experienced that. And so I said to my husband... Well, I've got this, but who would want to? Who would want to know about a garden? <laughs> who would want to read about my garden? It's just my garden outside. You know, it's just our backyard. It's not even a proper garden, is it? You know. So I was still thinking like that, even though I had great pride in it, and love of it. And when it came to nature writing with a big N and a big W, it wasn't nature writing. But he said, "Well, yeah, you know, do you?" Do you, would you like to read a book like this? And I was like, well, yes, I would, because it would mean something to me, because instead of all this lone striding off, so I sent it in. <laughs> then I got longlisted, which was a bit of a shock. Um, and that changed everything, I think, because at that point, 
somebody else believed in it as well. And then I got longlisted for the Penguin Right Now Award as well. Um, and then I won the Northern a Northern Writers Debut Award, New Writing North Debut Award for nonfiction, which was really big to do that. Uh, and that gave me financial support to to write and also the opportunity to be mentored. Again, um, this was with Catherine Simpson, and at the same time, at the same time, I was also had the opportunity to be mentored by Cal Flynn. So I had these wonderful book midwives <laughs> that were helping, and and I became quite ill at the time as well. Um, I had already been ill, so I should maybe clarify I was diagnosed and found out why I was ill. And at that point, I thought, right, I'm just going to work on this. And I didn't have enough energy to do everything, so I had enough energy to maintain the garden or let nature maintain the garden, look after my son and write. And that's what I did. And it became a book. <laughs> and it is a, it's a magical book and it's beautifully written. And there's so many, oh, so many layers and revelations and things that kind of open up in, in us as, as readers as, we're, as you take us through. And the growing of your garden and, and your journey. And I always ask this question to people and it sort of seems a very strange question when we've been talking about something so, in a sense, small in terms of the simplicity of, of that relationship with, with the ground and growing. And the question is, if you were to rip up everything and start again, what systems would you change in the world? Which is a very kind of big question. And I wonder whether you can relate that to what you've learned in the making of your garden, in the making of your book. Well, partly partly because of my upbringing with all the wild mothers in my life, you know, feminist at heart always. But I would say, like the you know, the, the patriarchal system that we have has been around for a very, very long time. It doesn't work. It really doesn't work. It's all about control. It's all about acquisition. It's it's about power. And it does untold damage in so many different ways. So my first act would be to <laughs> rip up the patriarchy, <laughs> um, which sounds very simplistic, but if you take away that structure and allow something else to grow and discover that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come overnight, but allow something to grow that said we are, we're an ecosystem. You know, we are biodiverse. We're, you know, there are many, many different things living here. Um, but we all intertwine. We all rely on each other. Um, we don't need to control everything we need to understand how we can support each other how one thing that we think oh that's not desirable actually is the very thing that's needed by something else so take away the structure take away the need to control take away the system that says this is the right way and the only way this very narrow thing that encourages us to to see the things that are not within that narrow band as weeds, as things to be controlled, as things to be eradicated and pulled out and destroyed. We take away that. And then we start to see, actually, you know, that dandelion there, being a bit simplistic, but that dandelion there, you know, it's really beautiful. 
it provides color when there's not much color it provides nectar um for bees in, in early early in the year it's a brilliant diuretic it's fantastic for reducing water retention <laughs> it's you know and then you start to going deeper and deeper and deeper or you could just spray weed killer on it and then you never find that out so in my very simplistic terms take away the thing that controls and in the light of that and in the light of the experiences that you've had the creation of your book and putting these words out into the world and these words and weeds out into the world how do you define courage all right um I'm going to let my son have the last word on that one. <laughs> so, and it was written on our wall in our, in our last house because I loved it so much when he said it to me, which was that courage was hope mixed with love. Courage was hope mixed with love. And that to me describes courage perfectly because it's hope is strong and it's visceral and it's resilient and it's powerful, and so is love. <laughs> and you put the two things together and they can change everything because they give us the strength to live through everything and to survive the bad points and, no, oh, not even to survive the bad points, to survive and to grow and to be strong and to allow ourselves to break and to allow ourselves to find the beauty that's there when we do. So courage is hope mixed with love. It, it blows my mind when I hear you say that because hope for me has always made me feel very vulnerable and scared. And you've completely flipped my brain on what hope can be. And so I thank you very deeply for that. And thank you so much, Vic, for sharing your stories so that we may also look to the simpler side of life where we can be closer to nature and allow it to support and heal us through our more challenging times. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm really happy your, your book is winging its way into the world. Oh. All those lucky people have the opportunity to read it and grow with it. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. care. Thank you, Lou. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Vic, for showing us how to seek out nature in our daily lives so that when we hit the tough times, we already have the means to help us survive and even thrive. You can find out more about Vic's work on www.victoriabennett.me, buy her book, All My Wild Mothers, from all good bookstores, and follow her on Instagram at bewild. Thank you, Brave New Girl Media, for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And to you for listening. I hope today's story inspires you to step into the spotlight and show how you too are positively impacting the world. Take care, choose courage, and see you next time. <laughs>